Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, May 19th, and this is your FT News Briefing. A new potential coronavirus vaccine has given investors high hopes for an economic rebound. Self-driving car projects are ramping up in China, and bond investors are warning companies not to get any ideas when it comes to EBITDAC. Plus, the FT's Kieran Stacey explains what the latest U.S. sanctions against Huawei mean for the survival of the Chinese telecoms company. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Global stock markets started the week on an optimistic note. Investors have been looking for signs of growth after several months in lockdown, and there were a few things to give investors hope. First, the gradual easing of lockdowns in Europe and early signs of a shallower-than-expected recession in Germany. Then, comments from Federal Reserve Chair Jay Powell on Sunday night saying that the central bank still has firepower to support the U.S. economy. Plus, Boston-based biotech company Moderna said its potential coronavirus vaccine has delivered positive results. Moderna shares closed 20% higher at $80 a piece on Monday. But is the potential vaccine the real deal? DFT's Hannah Kushler has more. So investors were really pleased with these results, which are the first that we've seen from a U.S. COVID-19 vaccine trial, because they showed that the participants who had had the vaccine had the same kind of antibody reaction to the virus as patients who actually had the disease. So that's obviously showing their immune system is responding to the vaccine in the right way. It's a very small trial, though, so that, you know, as much as the stock popped and it kind of lifted the whole of the market, this is the kind of trial that we normally actually wouldn't pay very much attention to because it's so early stage. It's just that all eyes are on it because the stakes are so high. So, Hannah, what do we need to see before we can all start getting a little bit more optimistic about this? So every trial is about safety and efficacy. The first trial is normally very small and is very much about safety and also about trying to get the dose right. And then you're really looking at how does it work on a much larger population? And for a vaccine trial, it has to be even larger because what you're looking for is, does this protect someone if they encounter COVID-19 in the wild? So they have to have perhaps even thousands of participants and probably all around the world to see how effective it is. You need to go older because obviously a lot of the victims of COVID-19 are much older and their immune systems are less responsive. So you need to see how it affects them. So there are still many, many unanswered questions. So is there a timeline for this potential vaccine, Hannah? Yeah, so the timeline is, you know, incredibly fast for vaccine development. Moderna was already very much leading the pack because they managed to get it from sort of genetic sequence to vial in just 42 days. And so they are looking to start the phase two trial very shortly. And then the phase three, this massive one I've been talking about, will probably start in July. We'll start to see data from that towards the end of the year. If you were going to be incredibly optimistic, which many of our political leaders are, you would say, well, then you could have a vaccine available by early 2021. But I would say that almost every public health expert that I've spoken to thinks that that is not quite pie in the sky, but a very rosy vision. Back in March, Alphabet's Waymo suspended its robo-taxi pilot project because of coronavirus concerns. It only started to pick those projects back up last week. But in that time, Chinese self-driving car startups were trying to play catch-up to the U.S. 
Take the Chinese startup AutoX. It opened what might be the largest data center for self-driving cars in Shanghai. And it signed a deal to launch a fleet of 100 robo-taxis in the city. Data provider PitchBook predicts that COVID-19 will hit the investment in autonomous vehicles around the globe. But according to research firm Yeo.com, 10 Chinese self-driving companies secured new funding in the first four months of this year. Waymo and GM's crews are still considered the clear industry leaders when it comes to technology. But competition odds are in China's favor. The U.S. has about a dozen big robo-taxi companies. China has about half that. And remember EBITDAC? We talked about it in one of last week's shows. It takes EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, and adds coronavirus at the end. Some companies included this supposed metric when they reported earnings for the first quarter of 2020. Well, bond investors have come out and warned companies against using this virus-related adjustment. The European Leverage Finance Association represents investors in higher-risk corporate bonds and loans. It says that it would be, quote, inappropriate for companies to use EBITDAC to calculate how much debt they're allowed to raise. Going a step further, the ELFA says that relying on EBITDAC could lead to more and more companies raising money that they can't repay. That's because the terms of a debt deal based on earnings before the effects of coronavirus might paint an inaccurate picture of just how leveraged a company is. It's been about a year since the Trump administration blacklisted Huawei from selling technology into the American market. It kicked off a feud between the U.S. government and the Chinese telecoms group, one that's heightened the already tense relationship between Washington and Beijing. Now, Huawei is warning that new sanctions from the U.S. could prevent the company from serving its customers throughout the world, and that it could even threaten the survival of the company. Kieran Stacy, our Washington correspondent, has more. Officials here have been looking for a long time at how they want to toughen these sanctions. And what they found after they rolled out those initial sanctions, which required any U.S. company to get a license before supplying U.S.-made goods to Huawei, what they found was there were multiple ways around that. The most prominent one being you just simply make the goods offshore. So there has been talk for a long time about stopping that. That's not quite the approach, though, that the U.S. has taken in the end. What they've done is a slightly more subtle and I think possibly cleverer thing, which is they've said that Huawei cannot sell its own chip designs to a third party, have it fabricated by that third party, and then buy it back. And you would think, what's that got to do with the U.S.? That's a Chinese company selling to a chip maker somewhere else in the world and then buying it back. Well, the U.S. has found the weak point in the chain, which is that the machinery used to actually make those chips usually operates on or is entirely made out of U.S. equipment. So what the U.S. has said is any chip making equipment that has a U.S. part in it cannot be made to manufacture a chip which is designed by Huawei and will then be bought back by Huawei. And what this does is it completely wipes out Huawei's own chip making division because they don't have the fabrication equipment themselves. And even if they then wanted to build the fabrication equipment themselves, they would almost certainly have to rely on U.S. parts to do so. So, Kieran, remind me, why is the U.S. taking such a hardline stance on Huawei? The U.S. has said for a long time that Huawei equipment poses a security threat to users outside China. They say that's because if the Chinese government were to demand the data that flows through 
Huawei's equipment, Huawei would have no choice but to agree. And the Chinese law does seem to suggest that any company that is asked to turn over data to the Chinese government will have to do so. There is very little evidence that this has happened in the past. There have been small cases where we think data might have been transferred to Chinese servers, but we're not sure what exactly has happened with it. But really, this is about the threat of future action by the Chinese government using Huawei equipment to seize all of the data that flows through networks in Europe, in Africa, in Asia, and in parts of the US. Okay, so the company's rotating chairman, Guoping, has called the move arbitrary, among other things, and said survival was now the key word for the company. How badly will Huawei be hit by these toughened sanctions? It's difficult to know, and it depends how the policy is actually enacted. I was quite surprised when I heard Guoping talk about survival. The company has not used that kind of language before. It said, yes, this will hurt us, but we're a thriving company. In fact, last year after the sanctions were first put in place, it had a record quarter straight after that. So it seemed that revenues weren't really being impacted at all. This is obviously much more significant now. There are only a handful of companies in the world who can make these microchips for anybody, for Huawei, for anyone. And if they're stopped from making any microchips for that company, then it's difficult to know where they come from. The only other option now is for Huawei to go to Companies like Broadcom, Qualcomm, Intel, these big American chip makers say, okay, you make it at your plants instead. Those plants might be a lot more expensive, but you know maybe we can get it that way. But then that still is under the auspices of the Commerce Department. The Commerce Department can still cut them off if they want to. And if Huawei struggles, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. Its customers all over the world will suffer. Uh, how does this play into the tensions between China and the U.S.? So there, just before coronavirus hit, uh, it looked like a trade deal had been signed. Tensions, which had obviously been going on pretty much since Donald Trump took office, were eased. The relationship looked stronger than it had been at any point for the last couple of years. Then coronavirus hits, the US blames China for it, China blames the US for it. Then for people like Donald Trump and those around him, this is further evidence that China is not to be trusted. And it is therefore given that more hawkish group of people within Washington, the upper hand, I think, to take action like this, which they have been considering for a while anyway. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.